How's it going? It's fixing to be a lot better, man. Welcome back to Dazed and Confused 33 and a Third. I'm Jarf, and we are here for track 16 this week, and with us is our guest. She is the creator of the blog Cinemasips.com, Liz Locke. Hi, Liz. Hi, thanks for having me. Yes, thanks for joining us. I'm <laughs> so excited. We have a great section. I feel like I say that every week because... <laughs> I love almost every section of this movie, but we have a great bit of the movie to talk about. It starts with Carl throwing his beer bottle in the street like a litter bug, and <laughs> it ends with Wooderson asking Slater if he wants to play a little foosball. So we get some great exterior of the Emporium and a lot of great interactions. I just wondered if there was a moment that stood out to you in this and why or why not? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm honored to speak about such an iconic scene. I mean, I feel like this scene gets quoted so much and for good reason. But no, for me, the thing that like, stands out is the fact that I get barbecue from this location in Austin all the time. <laughs> so when I'm watching it, like the exterior of the Emporium, it's the, it's the same like strip mall parking lot thing as one of my favorite barbecue places, Style Switch. And so when I'm watching it, I'm like, ah, that's like, that's where Style Switch is. And they actually have, you know, pictures of the filming of the movie inside when you go in and stand in line. Um, Cause in Austin, that's what we do. We stand in line for barbecue. So it's just kind of a fun connection. I don't think I realized until I moved here how many like just you know places that I recognize I would see in the movie. I obviously like seen Dazed and Confused before I moved here 15 years ago, but it's just such a part of the fabric of this city. That's so cool. I have to get out there sometime so I can just stand out in that iconic location. And I wonder, one of the things that we talked about in an early episode, I understand that the interior of the pool hall is another place, which is now the aristocrat. Have you been to that bar? Yes, I have. And it is an excellent cocktail bar. And I say this as a person who knows her cocktails. It's one of my favorite places in town. <laughs> Oh, sweet. Yes. Recommendation from <laughs> Cinema Sips herself. So that okay, that's perfect. Yeah. And it's like two blocks away from Top Notch, which is still there and looks exactly like it does in the movie. So you can get your drink at the Aristocrat and then go get greasy fries at Top Notch. <laughs> oh, with the sign and everything? Oh, yeah. It's identical. Yeah. Oh, sweet. Okay, great. Well, that is definitely going on my list. Yeah. No, for anybody that's a fan of this movie, I would highly recommend a trip to Austin. And also, like, this movie plays here all the time. In fact, like, as we're recording this episode, there is a Dazed and Confused screening at the Alamo Draft House with a cast reunion, like, happening right now. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> With Richard Linklater and Parker Posey and Matthew McConaughey. I think it's via Zoom. But anyway, like, this kind of stuff happens all the time here. So 
like to, if you've lived in Austin for a long time, like you know this movie word for word and know all the locations. <laughs> yeah, wow, that's good. So I actually have to go so I can hop on that Zoom. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I'll tell you the one part of the scene that stood out to me was pink surreptitiously smoking from his belt buckle that converts into a pipe. Yes. And <laughs> it actually is something that I didn't really catch the first couple times I watched the movie because I was just caught up in their conversation. Right. But it reminds me of one of my favorite anecdotes from the oral history. So you might remember this because I think that you mentioned that you've read it too. Yes, I love that book. So good. I have talked about this a bunch, but it was my inspiration for doing this podcast. So definitely a fan. But Jason London shared this story about that prop. And he says that Quentin Tar Tarantino, the one time I got to meet him, he comes up to me and he says, Jason fucking London. Please tell me you have the belt buckle. I'll give you $200,000 for it right now. But I didn't oh sell God. it. I still have it. <laughs> so I kind of wondered if you were in his shoes, would you take $200,000 for a movie prop with sentimental value or would you hold on to it? I think I would. I mean, it depends on the prop. For me, like this belt buckle wouldn't really do much for me because I, I'm not a smoker. <laughs> so it would just be like, sure. You know, I think like I would have a harder time parting with, I don't know, like maybe Parker Posey's whistle or something or like, you know, when they're hazing the freshman girls, something like that, like I could see hanging on to. But even still, 200000 is a lot of money. I think I would probably sell it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's serious money, but it does make for a better story from his perspective yes. that he didn't. So I, I, <laughs> I did like that. So you mentioned this scene being so quotable, and I assume that you're referring in particular to Wooderson's creepy line about high school girls staying the same age. Yes? Yes, definitely referring to that. <laughs> <laughs> so there there was much conversation about that in the oral history. I thought Anthony Rapp summed it up best in saying that it's funny, but it's really fucked up. Yeah. I think that that basically covers it, right? It absolutely does. But like, so it's interesting to think about how this was accepted into like our cultural lexicon and like, Matthew McConaughey was not canceled over this line or anything, you know, it was just like, and maybe that's to his credit, like he is able to sell even the most like horrible thing. I mean, he's selling his outfit. I mean, that outfit he has on with the Ted Nugent shirt and the pink pants and the like little mustache that he has, but like somehow it works. And like, you know, this guy's a creep, but I don't know, like Cynthia, like if he asked me out on that night, I don't know that I would necessarily say no right away. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because he's not really a scary kind of creep, at least right. in the way that he comes across. He's confident. And I think that's what sells him to both Cynthia and the audience. Like, he, like he's got the confidence and you want to buy whatever he's selling. Yeah, absolutely. So we touched on a couple of the characters and 
something that I like to do with my guests is just ask them how they relate or don't to some of these archetypes from the movie. Mm -hmm. So which of the characters do you find is most like you or is there one that is the least like you and why or why not? I think uh, the character that's most like me would be Kristen Hinojosa's Sabrina. And unfortunately, she's not in this particular scene. But when I first saw this movie, I really identified with her character because I switched high schools my senior year. And at my first school, I was like pretty much invisible, kind of like the freshmen are coming up in this movie. You know, I, I didn't have a ton of close friends and mostly just did my own thing. But then when I went to this new high school, it was much smaller and all these kids had gone to school with each other for ages. So they were really excited for someone new coming in. And mm. so like these girls took me under their wing right away, just kind of like Jody does for Sabrina in this movie. And suddenly I was just thrust into this new social life. And like Sabrina, I kept looking around and being like, really, me? You want to invite me to the party? Are you sure? <laughs> so there was definitely like that connection. And then I, I feel like I also had Sabrina's taste in just nerdy, awkward, older guys with terrible haircuts. And looking back on it now, I definitely cringe. Just as I'm sure a part of her is cringing over kissing Tony right now. <laughs> and <laughs> like nothing against Anthony Rapp, but she's totally like, you know, watching this, she is going to dump him one day. And in 20 years, she's not going to remember his name. Like, <laughs> oh, for sure. Like it was a sweet moment. But I think we all the audience knows like this is not a forever match. This is a one night match. <laughs> so going back to the aspect of Sabrina that you relate to in going to this high school and mm -hmm. having a group that took you under their wing. Was there one person in particular that was that was like the Jody to your Sabrina? Oh, totally. My friend Jill, and we're still very good friends to this day. She was the maid of honor at my wedding. And and she even looks like Jody. It's so weird. <laughs> oh wow, that's funny. But yeah, I mean we've we've stayed friends all this time. But yeah, it, when I got to that school immediately she was like, What's your phone number? I'm gonna call you like if you're in you know it was a kind of a weird situation. My mother remarried like halfway through the year and we moved across the state to, to her new husband's town. And was that when you moved to Austin or did that? No, that was a, that was a Pennsylvania move from Western Pennsylvania to central Pennsylvania. But we would go like, I went ahead of time to visit the school and make sure I liked it and kind of did a tour. And that's when I met all these people and, you know, we got each other's email addresses and phone numbers and they were kept in contact with me. Even when I went back to my town, you know, to settle things up there and, you know, like they would, if I, came to Harrisburg early they would be like oh let's hang out this weekend like before I even moved there or started going to that school I had a social life for like the first time ever so yeah seeing Sabrina's like deer in headlights like oh my god these people are including me and I don't know why but I'm here <laughs> you know? it really resonated with me and especially key that that some of that groundwork was put down before 
you started at the school. Exactly. Just like this movie, you know, Sabrina doesn't go to the to school with these people at all. They are strangers to her. You know, she knows that she'll, you know, see them next year. But right now, she's never met any of these people. So it makes it even more kind of amazing. <laughs> yeah. One of our past guests, Jonathan, said that he had a tradition at his school that the upperclassmen would take the freshmen for a camping trip before they started their freshman year, just so they would know somebody when they went to the school. That's so nice. What a nice school. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was back when we were really in the thick of the hazing section. And I was asking, oh, did anything like this happen at your school? And it was just the extreme opposite of super niceness and hand-holding you through this awkward transition. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, it's funny. I asked my husband is a high school teacher here in Austin. And I asked him, like, is this still a thing? Like, do kids haze each other? And he's like, no, this is not a thing. I don't know. Like, it was maybe a thing 30, 40 years ago, but it's definitely not a thing still. (laughs) Just FYI for any listeners who are curious about the Austin Public Schools. (laughs) Yes, that is a real. I understand that it it did used to happen. Yeah, (laughs) but definitely has fallen away. (laughs) So let's talk about the song a little bit. So you hear just in the background... Fox on the Run by Sweet. And it is very much just kind of off in the distance. And I wondered if you had a reaction to it one way or another. Do you see it enhancing the scene? Does it take away from it at all? I mean, this movie, as I'm sure a lot of other guests have said, is built on the details. And, you know, this detail of a car rolling up with that song playing, you know, it it feels very authentic um you know another reason i love this scene and the the movie in general is because of the cars and the you know the music that's playing through the radio um my dad had a 1969 opal gt that is now my opal gt nice and actually they do classic car nights at the top notch still so i mean and right now like it has a tape deck in it that i think was like a later install but the only thing I can really get to work in it is the radio and so I put it on the classic rock station here so we take it out I you know feel like I'm in dazed and confused rolling up to the Emporium with with that kind of music playing but yeah it definitely like it transports you to that time period Liz you're like living my dreams (laughs) it's not a bad life here (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right, all right. Well, when you mentioned the cars, it made me think of another little bit in this scene that I really liked. And I 100% agree that this movie really thrives on its details. And I liked when they decided that they were going to go for a ride with Pickford. And it's the exchange that Don and Pink have over calling shotgun. Mm -hmm. It's the way that Don, he calls shotgun and then he points at Pink with the two (laughs) fingers like, you you know I said it first, you heard it. And Pink is like, all right, yep, you got it. That one's you. (laughs) 
I know it's so civilized almost. <laughs> it, it, it's so civilized, but it just that reminded me so much of growing up. It's always that battle to call a shotgun, but you know, there's there's got to be some honor in the battle too. Like right. if someone else said it first, they called it. Right. I, I like the little bit that that Don has with Slater too, where Slater says like, all right, I'm going to give you shotgun, but it's only because I'm going inside. And Don's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay, okay, sure. No, I love, and I love to like seeing, you know, cars back then, like you just kind of flip the seat. There's no lever for the seat. Like you just flip the seat to get someone in the back. I mean, my Opal doesn't have a back seat, but it there's like a little crawl space behind the seats that you could use for storage. But yeah, you just like, flip the seats like they do in that movie and then that hard thunk of the metal car door like that is a very unique sound to those cars and it's not something you would think about but there is such a difference between the car doors now versus back then so yeah i love seeing this part in the movie with the cars nice yeah i haven't i haven't thought about the difference with the car doors in a while but that is absolutely true modern cars it's just kind of a, like a little plastic like could you exactly yeah no this is like oh we're this is a heavy door to close and the way they like when they like before before they close the doors they like fall into the seats and oh my god those cars were so low to the ground back then you know like we're used to suvs now and like being really high up in a lot of cars but man i just like fall into the car now when I try to get in there is no like getting in gracefully (laughs) (laughs) and I think that's reflected in these scenes too (laughs) yeah but it's a lot easier to do that when you're a teenager and you have a teenager's flexibility and you just can kind of flop all over the place yeah (laughs) (laughs) ah youth well (laughs) speaking about youth so Say they made a movie about your high school days. What would play on the soundtrack in your version of this scene? Well, so I graduated in 2001. And at that time, Smooth by Santana and Rob Thomas was everywhere. (laughs) I don't know if you know that song. I don't. Maybe I'd know it to hear it. Yeah, it was like in every bar, in every grocery store, in every, like, every place you went all over the radio i mean every time you turn on the radio smooth was playing so i would say that's probably the one i mean if it were my car like that i was personally curating the music on like it probably would have had like elliot smith or donovan or something yeah i think i think going with the ubiquitous song of the era is more true to the approach they took for this movie. So mm-hmm. I think that that makes sense. Yeah, was there totally. maybe a location in your town that was sort of the parallel to the Emporium where where everybody hung out? It's hard to say, you know, like, because like back in Western Pennsylvania, I was not in, like, I would have been like Tony and Cynthia driving around, like looking for the party, you know? Like, I didn't know where the kids hung out, really. I think maybe people hung out at a pool, like a Mac Park pool. I don't know. But, you know, when I got to central Pennsylvania, I think we spent a lot of time hanging out at the movie theaters, honestly. Like, the movie theater were at the mall. Like, I we met up a lot there. And at people's houses. I don't know if there was necessarily, like, a 
maybe a coffee shop or something. But yeah, it was mostly like people's houses. I grew up in central Pennsylvania too, actually. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. It's, I don't know if you know it. It's Newport. It's in oh Perry County. Oh my God. Yes. I. That's where my mom's house is in Perry County in Ickysburg. No. I am not kidding. <laughs> wow. Small world. That is a really small world. So I went to the Harrisburg Academy. That's where I transferred to. Oh, okay. <laughs> so as you know, from Perry County into Harrisburg, like every day or Mechanicsburg, really, I guess. But yeah, it was a hell of a commute over those mountain roads. <laughs> oh, that's a haul. One of, yeah. the, one of the things that is a positive takeaway is because that's where I grew up, I never think anywhere is a long commute. So people yes. ask me, oh, how long does it take to get to your office? And I'm like, oh, it's no big deal. 45 minutes, an hour if there's bad traffic. But it's like when you grow up where there's literally nothing any closer than an hour, yes. that's just a given. I know. Like the closest grocery store was half an hour away for us. Like it was ridiculous. <laughs> and going back to visit my mom now, I'm like... I don't understand how you live like this, you know, because in Austin, I can, I drive five minutes and get groceries and everything is like, she has to plan things out in advance and get all of her stops done at once. And like, forget about going out to, I mean, as you know, there's like no place to eat out. In that oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just like, I don't understand how you still live here. I don't know. But, you know, maybe it's like the kids in this movie, you know, they all wanted to be in a different time period in a different place. And yeah, when I was that age, I wanted to be anywhere else besides Perry County. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's why I relate to this movie. At least that's a big part of it, because that I can definitely relate to that that kind of yearning like mm -hmm. what is going to be next like there has to be something more than this so right <laughs> right <laughs> wow small world i cannot believe this connection <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I'm so glad that you were interested in chatting about this movie. Oh, and before we go, I had mentioned this to you previously in an email, but I just want to put out there my Wiley Wiggins connection. Yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah, Please so do. kind of a fun story. So a friend of mine came to town, we'd known each other for a long time. And she had another friend in town that also lived in Austin who I'd never met before. And she was like, oh, we're going to meet up with him at this bar. So we were at this bar in East Austin. And it turns out her friend was friends with Wiley Wiggins and has been for decades. So Wiley came to the bar. And he was really, really nice. I was, of course, super nervous and felt like embarrassed to ask him anything about this movie because I'm like I'm sure he gets asked about this all the time <laughs> so I don't want to be that person but he was really really nice and at the end of the evening my there was a moon tower real just outside the bar so my friend had a couple drinks and she was like oh my god we got to get a picture with you in the moon tower <laughs> so so we did so that's in my collection a picture of me with Wiley Wiggins in front of a moon tower so that's like my prized days to confuse possession <laughs> 
that is so cool yeah did you have you heard about the like background of the moon towers because that's a kind of a cool thing too i have but i haven't really talked about it on this podcast yeah it is yeah i mean there's a rumor they were created because jack the ripper was loose in austin like there was apparently a serial killer here and people thought that and it was around the time that jack the ripper was would have been alive and was not active in England anymore. And so people theorized that he had come to Austin. And so they erected these like tall metal light towers, like you see in in the movie to like illuminate parts of the city. So it would be safer for people at night. So that's the moon towers. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. And so that picture, maybe you could share it on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, when this um, episode, or I'll send, I'll email it to you, but for sure I'll post it when it's very bad lighting because it was like late at night and this was pre, you know, fancy cameras and the iPhones. <laughs> but, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but I think you can make us out. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. You mentioned that you met him and that you got the picture, but I didn't realize it was through a friend. So I just assumed that this, this was all something that happened in the span of 30 seconds but you actually got to like chill with him that's very cool i yeah it was really fun and then we all walked down to a barbecue place which was showing soylent green outside so it was a really fun movie night (laughs) nice yeah awesome i didn't mention this earlier but the way that i first encountered cinema sips was through a previous project that I worked on. It was a podcast about Joe versus the Volcano. Oh, one of my favorites. (laughs) Yes, actually, I found a cocktail that you made inspired by the movie called The Brain Cloud. That's like, oh, this is so cool. (laughs) And and, and so I I shared that on the social media for Joe versus the Minute. And and then I've just been following your blog since. And it's definitely a recommended follow. So did you want to tell folks anything about that or any other project? No, I mean, I, so I've been doing cinema sips for about eight years and I do a post every week. So there's a new movie every week. And I also write for a zine out of Philadelphia called Movie John. And that's been a lot of fun. They, they do a print zine uh, quarterly and I do a, f- a few reviews and stuff for their website. So, but yeah, that's pretty much it. Where can folks find that on social media? So on Instagram and Twitter, I'm at Cinema Sips. And, and then the website is www.cinemasips.com. Nice. Well, thank you for sharing that. And thank you for joining us for this week. This has been awesome. Absolutely. I am so happy to talk to another Perry County person and especially one who loves Days and Confused as much as I do. (laughs) (laughs) Not to worry, there's a new fiesta in the making. Join us at the Moon Tower, our Facebook listeners group. Until next time, just keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. The Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content. 
PodCube, podcasts from the past delivered to the future. With PodCube's pseudo-linear 4D adiabatic qubit streaming technology, you can select any point in history and record it for personal gain. What was the group dynamic with Australopithecus? What brand of cigarettes did the Spanish Inquisition smoke? Was Leonardo da Vinci a pants guy? Or a shorts guy? You can discover with PodCube. Listen for yourself to the flagship PodCube podcast, Alabaster's Haberdashery, recorded on location in 1880. Simply search PodCube, all one word, in your podcast app or visit poweredbypodcube.com. PodCube, the future is yesterday.